When I was a little guy, my grandmother would tell me, bloom where you're planted. And I always thought that sounded like really great advice, but I don't know that I really understood what she meant until I became an adult and until I became a Christian. And in learning to see with the eyes of the Spirit the opportunities that are right before us, wherever we are at any given moment, and learning to pray to see what it is the Lord is doing in that time so that I can be a part of it, and you can too. Hi, I'm Pastor Jim Luby. Welcome to The Faithful Race. Let's talk about blooming where you're planted. This past week, I had the strange opportunity. In the course of about 48 hours, I spoke to two missionaries in Honduras. I spoke to two more missionaries in Guatemala. I spoke to a missions coordinator in Africa, some people in Greece that are on mission, a couple in the Philippines. That sounds really exotic, doesn't it? And sometimes we become very impressed when we hear and meet these very fine people who are literally taking the gospel to the utmost ends of the earth. But what if we're being impressed by the wrong things? After all, what is distance to the God who is ever-present? What is time to the one who is holy and uncreated, who stands outside of time, yet holds it in his righteous right hand? The passage we're going to look at today is from Luke chapter 10. We're going to read verses 1 through 24. And in this, Jesus is commissioning those who are going before him to carry the message to the places he'll be preaching. Beginning with verse 1, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others, and he sent them ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself was about to go. He told them, The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Now go. I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Don't carry a money bag, traveling bag, or sandals. Don't greet anyone along the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace to this household. If a person of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they offer, for the worker is worthy of his wages. Don't move from house to house. When you enter any town, before they welcome you, eat the things set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, The kingdom of God has come near you. When you enter any town and they don't welcome you, Go out into its streets and say, We are wiping off even the dust of your town that clings to our feet as a witness against you. Know this for certain. The kingdom of God has come near. I tell you on that day it will be more tolerable for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles that were done for you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes but it'll be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And for you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? No, you will go down to Hades. Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. And whoever rejects me rejects the one who sent me. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I have given you the authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing at all will harm you. However, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, 
but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At that time, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, because this was your good pleasure. All things have been entrusted to be my by Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son desires to reveal him. And then, turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see the things you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see the things that you see, but didn't see them, to hear the things that you hear, but didn't hear them. The kind of missions I was talking about a few minutes ago sound exotic and exciting to us because it's dealing with a mission field that is foreign to us. It's unknown. A different land, a different language, a different people. Personally, I've been praying very earnestly this week about what the future looks like for God's people right here in the United States. And I'm much, much more excited about something that's much more mundane to human eyes. Think on this for just a moment and hold this number in your head. How many people do you think you personally know? It may be a lot. Sometimes we're a little more aware of it on social media. We'll see how many contacts, how many friends, how many followers we have. But how many do you personally know? Now, here we are in May of 2020, and we've been a lot more conscientious about our contact with others lately because of the coronavirus pandemic. It's been brought to us about concern about spreading and catching this mysterious virus. And while that's a very uncomfortable topic, I believe that God might just be using it to show his people something very important about the good news of salvation by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone. You may be trying to come up with a number. How many people do I contact daily? I had the great pleasure this week of visiting the mighty bastion of American civilization and culture. We call it Walmart. But I made it a point to carefully count how many people I interacted with, how many people I had a word with, and how many people I saw. Even with the reduced number of people in that big store, I still counted more than 200 people. I had interactions with more than two dozen. That starts to tell us that our contacts are far wider than we usually realize. Now understand, it is right and good for us to celebrate when we meet missionaries who have dealt with extraordinary circumstances and unusual locations. We should encourage them for stepping out in faith. Paul speaks to this in Philippians 2, relating the honor paid to his brother in faith, Epaphroditus, and others like him. Why? Well, they faced extraordinary hardship by human standards. Hardship, the likes of which most of us in North America have never encountered and likely never will. But like time and distance, when we consider the ultimate and perfect price that was paid at Calvary, shouldn't we be moved? When we consider the old rugged cross, shouldn't we be moved to tell others there is a hope and future in Jesus Christ alone? And it should call us to step beyond the easy and comfortable. But I think we need to be truthful that sometimes we fight against that. Or sometimes we're waiting for a quote-unquote perfect situation before we do what we're commanded. So let's talk about your mission today. How are you personally doing with the Great Commission? 
maybe a little hot sometimes, a little cold others. Like all of us, maybe you get very busy with important stuff and it kind of goes to the back burner. Or maybe you've tried hard to share the gospel and hit some significant roadblocks. The question is, do you quit if you face resistance? Now, truthfully, I've never met anyone in their right mind who truly enjoyed rejection. But I find that we often internalize the rejection of the message of salvation in Christ is a rejection of us. And then we get discouraged. And then we quit. And fall victim to a lie that's out of the mouth of hell. The lie is this. We have made witnessing, telling others about Jesus, about us. Remember, if you are born again in Christ Jesus, if you are of the church, we are not the message. We are the messengers. So let's unpack this passage together. The first part of this, we see what's called the harvest. Jesus talks very specifically and uses this metaphor, this idea of a field that is ready, just ready to be harvested, but there aren't enough workers to do it. And it shows importance. You see, one of the things people have to realize is some of these evangelists we have, say Greg Laurie or say Billy Graham, who hold these large crusades in communities where they pack out a stadium, that didn't just happen overnight. It's not as if these guys rolled into town on a Monday and said, hey, we're doing this Wednesday night. There's months and months of planning and preparation and prayer that goes into it. But let's bring it down to a small number. While those crusades are impressive to our human eyes, it's really about the one-on-one sharing of the gospel. So what is our preparation? Well, the word says it's prayer and fasting. Have you ever noticed how often in the New Testament you see prayer and fasting together? We don't like the fasting because it's uncomfortable. But understand, church, you're not being called to go to the desert like Jesus and fast for 40 days. No, just one meal a week. Skipping one meal a week just to be that little uncomfortable, that little outside of ourselves. Because it's important we experience that little bit of discomfort lest we slip into a kind of passive slumber of the status quo and miss what God is doing. Have you ever experienced that? You get in the car, you're heading somewhere, you always go the same way, and you get there and you don't even remember traveling there. We can do that in life as well. That's why it's so important that we have some things that interrupt our status quo and our self-satisfaction. In verse 2 of this passage, Jesus tells you and me that we are to ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the field, meaning we are to pray for the eyes of the Spirit to see the work that the Spirit is already doing. We pray so that we can have our will aligned to the leadership and work of the Holy Spirit because it is his work. You see, that was the same instruction of Jesus to the apostles before Pentecost, before the Holy Spirit went out. And that same work that's described in the book of Acts is continuing now. It's not finished, it hasn't ceased, and it will not finish until God the Father declares that time is no more. You see, missions work is not just about international missions or moving across the country to a different circumstance. Back in Isaiah 6, we see a tremendous commissioning 
where Isaiah stands before the Lord, and they say, whom shall we send? And Isaiah says, here I am, send me. What would happen if God's people prayed that simple prayer? Here I am, Lord, send me. And sometimes people are very excited about the idea of doing missions work somewhere else, but they don't like the idea of doing missions work right where they've been planted. I want to show you something in the Bible today, too, that it's just a little bit of an aside today, but it's an important one with this particular passage. I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible, and it says the Lord appointed 72 others. But if you read some other very uh, well-known translations, it will say 70. And this is a favorite criticism of the Bible from those who, well, let's just say they don't understand it. And they say that these are inaccuracies. And there are three big ones you'll often hear. What inaccuracies? Well, the questions are this. Did Moses and the Hebrews cross out of Egypt at the Red Sea or the Reed Sea, as it sometimes says in the small print? Did Jesus deliver the Beatitudes and that teaching at the Sermon on the Mount, like Matthew says, or the Sermon on the Plain, like Luke says? And then this one. How many were sent? 70 or 72? When I've been preaching this passage before, I'll often use a road that goes through whatever town I'm preaching as an example. Often that road will have a number. It may be Interstate 35. But if you go to Dallas, it's going to be listed as the Stimmons Freeway, which is correct. Well, both are. One is actually a little more accurate than another because instead of the entirety of I-35, we know we're talking about the part that goes through Dallas, Texas. Many towns have this happen. These same things are described as well. They're not inaccurate. They're actually more accurate. You see, historians believe that Moses and the Hebrews crossed at the Reed Sea, which is a portion in the middle of the Red Sea. Did Jesus deliver at the Sermon on the Mount or the Sermon on the Plain? Well, it depends on your perspective. Are you looking up or are you looking from his perspective down? And rounding numbers... Well, we know that's a normal practice. What do we do with numbers, though? Let's talk about the harvest and some numbers. In 2020, there are approximately 95 million unchurched people in the United States. If it were a nation, it would be the fifth largest on the planet and the third largest mission field in the world. To give you a little perspective, one of our largest cities, Houston, Texas, the metro area there has about 6.5 million people. The state of Texas has 30 million. There are about 331 million in the United States. Compared to five years ago, Houston had about 5.8 million. Texas had 27 million. And the United States was around 325 million. We're seeing some tremendous growth. In the state of Texas alone, it's believed that approximately the the same number of people that could fill two 747s land and stay from all over the world. A large number of people coming every week to our large metropolitan areas. And the interesting thing about that, it means that we don't even have to do foreign missions in foreign countries. A lot of folks with foreign backgrounds are coming here. And more than ever before, they're holding on to their culture. I shared with my church today, as I was preaching through the same passage, I live in a very rural part of Texas right now. But a number of months back, I met a man behind the local truck stop, and he was praying. And how he was praying was what caught my eye. He had a prayer shawl out, and he was facing and praying to Mecca, which obviously indicated to me this man 
was a Muslim. And I said hello to him, and it kind of scared him a little bit. And I said, I'm a man of peace. And he settled down a little bit. And I asked him, I said, are you praying? And he said he was. And we had a tremendous conversation in which I got to share the Lord Jesus Christ with him. And I thought, if I can witness to somebody from an Islamic background who is a Muslim, who is from a foreign country living here, trying to make his way here, that means that I get to witness to all of the world anywhere. No longer do borders mean the same thing that they once did. Now, an interesting number says the number of people who identify as unchurched, they don't want to be a part of it or don't identify with it, doubled between 2000 and 2010. And that number is nearly the same in rural areas as it is urban, which means no matter where we are in the United States, either in an urban environment, suburban, very rural, we have work to do right here. We have a mission field right here, but do we have the workers for the field. So let's look at this message for a moment as well. The message is described in verses 5 through 12, and it shows two things, both simplicity and urgency. It's not a complicated message. And really the word is to stay focused, stay on target with the work and the message, and let the good news of salvation in Christ speak. And we do the work of meeting needs in the name of Jesus right where we are. The priority of the gospel is what must remain paramount. Now, sometimes people don't share because they believe they're not qualified in some way to witness. As if you have to go to seminary to be able to do this. As if you have to have a title to do this. Your testimony is the living of the gospel in your life. And if you're a part of the church, you may have heard of some phenomenal uh, methods and programs to teach about how to share your testimony. Uh, Share Jesus Without Fear is one of my favorites. You might have heard of the Roman Road, Evangelism Explosion. Some of these, they're very, very good, but we can make it much more simple. You and I are qualified to speak about what you and I have experienced. If you want to share your testimony, it's three easy steps. Here's who I was without Jesus. Here's how I met Jesus. And here's who I am now and forever in Jesus. In other words, we don't just wait for a perfect situation. You see, in verse 7, Jesus gave some information. He said, Remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they offer, for the worker is worthy of his wages. Don't move from house to house. Be busy about where you are planted. But there's something very interesting here. There are two sets of circumstances And there are two responses to it. One community where those who are bringing this message are received. And another community where they are rejected. But whether the response was positive or negative, the message is the same. Friends, the gospel is unchanging. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In his book, Thriving in Babylon, Pastor Larry Osborne says that Our mission remains the same no matter how godless our culture may become. But to successfully pull it off in an increasingly hostile environment, we'll have to ditch the path of anger and despair that so many have taken. Instead, we need a new path, one laid down for us many years ago by a man named Daniel. It's the path of hope, humility, and wisdom, and it's a path of great influence 
even in Babylon. As we study what the word says about this, and if you go back and and look at what Daniel's influence was, we recognize even historically it's recorded that he had great influence on the Babylonian leadership, even though he was not of them. He sought to do a great job. So what about that influence? You have influence. Let me ask you the question, where do you have influence? In your workplace? The people around you you call friends? Your family? Understand though, you might not always see an immediate or even fast result from your influence. And we have to remember, while there is an urgency to the gospel message, time is held in the Lord's hands, not ours. I can speak to this personally. I have had friends who are now brothers in Christ who I witnessed to over many years in many different ways. And both of them have come to me and said, it was because of your faithfulness in that witness that we saw the truth of the gospel. Now, is that about me? No, not at all. It's entirely about Jesus because I can't save anybody, not eternally. If I quote unquote save somebody, they're not really saved in the biblical sense. We have to keep faithful to the message because this is the result. If you look at verse 17, the verse shows us that the result is the Lord's. It is not our result. The 72 returned with joy. See, that seems like a strange word for them to return with because they say next, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name, which means that they encountered during this work the demonic they encountered the powers of hell standing up against them. But you see, what we're to read and what we see from our Savior in verse 20 is we're not to get puffed up with pride over the result. We're to celebrate it, but we're not to be puffed up with it because it's not about us. And likewise, we're also not to get discouraged when the results don't meet our natural human expectations. We can't see with human eyes everything that the Lord is accomplishing. We don't know the state of somebody else's heart before God, but we are to continue faithfully on the mission. So the 72 return with joy, but they obviously had struggles. It's not promised that it'll be easy. The gospel message is simple, but it's not always easy. Did they encounter rejection, trouble, danger, fear? Of course they did, but they kept fixed on the calling of the one who called them. Now, if you look at verse 16, we see an interesting word about rejection. Jesus said, whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me, and whoever rejects me rejects the one who sent me. So if we're sharing the gospel in love, if we're doing what we're called to do and we're rejected, who's rejected? It's not you. It's the one who sent you. You are the herald for the king. You carry the message of the king. You are not the king. We operate under the orders of the Great Commission. Matthew 28, starting with verse 18, Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, in that commission, it didn't qualify us as to where we do this. It says all nations. Sometimes that leads to faraway places. 
But most often, we're led to the places we already go, to the people who we already know. We're often asked, are we ready to go? Are we ready to move? What if it means moving right where we are? Are you and I ready to share the gospel? Remember, sharing our faith is not a program. It's not an emphasis. It is a lifestyle of following what our Savior commands us to do. He promised us with his words that he will be with us even to the end of the age. And what will stop what the Lord promised us? He said that the gates of hell would not prevail against his church, that the schemes of the deceiver would not overpower us. In his book, I'm a Church Member, Tom Rainer presented facts about the generation that's coming into adulthood right now. And only 15% statistically identify as Christians. Does that scare you? Maybe surprise you? Maybe motivate you? In some ways, we are as divided as a nation, well, basically unlike any other time since the Civil War. And I'll tell you the truth, I for one am excited to live in these times. Because we have seen biblical prophecy fulfilled in our lifetimes, maybe more discovered and understood about the Bible than at any other time since the Lord ascended. We are ripe as a nation for a great awakening and revival unlike anything seen since the Civil War, which led to the explosive growth of the evangelical church in the United States. But most importantly, we have nothing hindering us. You and I have likely never known real persecution, not bodily harm, not losing our homes, our, our money, our houses, anything like that along the way. We've known discomfort, maybe a little social awkwardness. But that does not change the fact that you are called and compelled to follow Christ as a disciple who demonstrates discipline. You are called to work like a soldier following the leadership from the firstborn among many brothers. That's Jesus. I think we are poised to see a new work unlike anything else our nation or world has seen yet. So the question is, do we trust God? Do we trust him enough to get out of the boat and into the deep waters? It's not our programs, it's not a project, or even our will, but it will be the will of the sovereign God who reigns, the example and will of the suffering servant who is returning. He is the coming and eternal king, and his name is Jesus. I'm Pastor Jim Luby. I pray you have an outstanding week as you continue along the faithful race.